Amen. Amen. Well, our focus this morning in God's Word comes out of the book of Acts. So, I would love for you to open up your Bibles or pull it up on your iPhone, iPad, whatever you're using, and uh, follow along uh, as um, we look into this passage together. I want to begin, though, by asking a couple of questions. And the first question is this. How many followers of Christ that you know that unquestionable, in an unquestionable way, because it's discernible, that is, for the most part, filled with the joy of the Lord? Now, let me repeat that. How many followers of Christ do you know that for the majority of the time, because it's unquestionable and it's quite discernible that you see in their life the joy of the Lord? Here's the second question. When you look in the mirror, are you one of them? There's a song that um, we sing in the early service Heard it all my life growing up here at Washington Baptist Church, one of those hymns called Trust and Obey. And, and some of you may know this if you've grown up in church or whatever, but uh, it just simply says this. I love the message. It says, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, concerning that word happy, we're not talking about happiness as the world sees it or even as we often talk about it. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. You know, Jesus told his followers on one occasion, listen, I am sharing this with you. I'm sharing this truth so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. And so we're not talking about just surface happiness that we generally have a tendency to focus on, but we're talking about something obviously deeper, something that it was inward, something that that fills our hearts really with the joy of the Lord. And the hymn gets it right scripturally because it goes on to say, to be joyful in the Lord is to trust and obey. And so I want to share uh, some thoughts with you this morning on the reality of living in true obedience. Because, you know, when it comes to trust and obey scripturally, you cannot, you cannot separate those two out. Because when we trust in the Lord, we obey him. And in obedience, that's the greatest declaration of our trust in him. And so I want us to talk a little bit. As we look at this passage and just pull out of this package, information, truth about living in true obedience. And I want to draw your attention to three things. So, Excuse me. Let's begin with this, the requirements of true obedience. Now, let me begin reading in verse 27, and let me just give you a little background here before we go any further. That is that this is the second time that Peter and all the apostles have been brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, of course, were the Sadducees and the Pharisees that made up the priesthood of Israel. And so they have been brought before the council. And here's the reason why. Jesus had given the disciples a great commission. We know what that is. Go and make disciples and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have taught you. And so Jesus ascended on the day of Pentecost. Uh, heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit 
came down upon the disciples. They began to boldly witness for Christ. And the Spirit began to move in a mighty way. Multitudes were coming to Christ, 3,000 on that one day of the day of Pentecost. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the spiritual leadership of Israel, were quite upset because part of the message they were sharing was not just the incredible gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to remind the people that their spiritual leadership crucified this one who laid his life down on the cross for them. And so they're, they're obviously very upset about this message. And this is the second time they have been brought, the apostles before the Sanhedrin. And so the scripture says this beginning in verse 27. It says, when they had brought them, they stood uh, them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, before I go any further, I would like to encourage you to underline that in your Bibles, highlight it, and if necessary, read it every single day when you get up. We are to obey God rather than men. And so then he goes on to say this. He goes on and says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exhausted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now notice in that passage twice, Peter and the apostles makes reference to this issue of obeying God. So I want to look at three things. First of all, the requirements of true obedience. I want to touch on them briefly. First of all, it involves a desiring heart. So what do you mean by that? Well, there's got to be a want to there. A true, passionate want to in our heart to obey him. He said in verse 29, we must, we must underline that word. In other words, he's just simply saying, look, it's not a contest. When it comes down to whether or not we are going to obey God or we're going to obey, obey man, it's not even a contest. We don't even give it a second thought. We are going to obey God. It begins with a desire in our hearts, a desiring heart, a want to. Listen, it's a want to. I'm not talking about in your mind you're thinking, well, I'm a follower of Christ. That means I'm a disciple of Christ. And if I'm a disciple of Christ, then I am supposed to obey Christ. I'm supposed to obey the Lord. I get that, but we're not talking about duty. What we're talking about here is a desire in our heart. They want to, to obey him. But notice the second thing. Not just a desirable heart, but secondly, also a delighting heart. Here's what happened after all of this had come about, and we'll look at the details in just a moment. But if you look with me a little bit further into verse 41, verse 41 of chapter 5, and after everything had happened uh, through the council, the whole experience, it says they went away, they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing, 
rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. In other words, it didn't matter what it cost. It didn't matter uh, what the consequences were going to be. Listen to me. It didn't matter what the consequences were going to be. They were just rejoicing. They were filled with joy in their heart that they had the privilege and the honor to, to, to actually obey the Lord their God. And here's the reason why. We were just singing about it, uh, both in the fact that God is so incredibly good all the time, and all the time he's good. As I said earlier, we don't always understand him. I don't always understand, but I can tell you something. He's been so incredibly good to me and my life, and he's been good to you in your life because he is good. He's a God-filled, overflowing with goodness, and we sing about what we believe about him and then just rejoiced a moment ago as the, as the praise team was leading us in fact that what he has done set us free free uh, from whatever stronghold, whatever shackle, whatever we're struggling with, inwardly or outwardly, he has the power to set us free. And so when they were looking at what they were facing and, and began to think, listen, listen to what they say in verses uh, 30 and 31. You want to really know what's in their heart? Watch this. Verse 30 and then 31 is the key verse. But here's what he says. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. Now listen to what they say here. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Let me ask you a question. What if none of this had happened? What if we didn't have a Christ? What if we didn't have a Savior? What if God had not sent his son? What if he did not love us so much that he would send his son with the promise that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life? What if we didn't have a sacrifice? What if God the Father had not made him God the Son to be sin for us so that in him we might be made the righteous of God and receive the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life and even the gift of the Holy Spirit coming to What if none of that had happened? Where would we be? And the, the apostles and disciples are saying, how can we not delightfully obey the one? who has loved us this much. You see, true obedience comes out of a desiring heart, but a delightful heart. But here's what I want you to see, a determined heart. Determined to obey God no matter the cost. You see, I told you as we began looking at this that this was the second time that they had been brought before the Sanhedrin back up with me for just a moment and, and notice that uh, as we look in verses, really verses 17, we'll read those in just a moment in detail, but the fact is that the first time, listen, the first time they actually took the disciples and threw them into prison. 
with the idea that the next morning that they would come and bring them out of prison and bring them before the Sanhedrin, but God intervened, praise his name. God intervened with an angel that night and the angel set them free and so the scripture says that someone came to the high priest and we'll read this in verse 25. It, said, it says, someone came and reported to them, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. You know, where, where were they after they had been miraculously set free? They said, oh, God set us free so now we can go this way and we can go this way. No, they went right back to where they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. You see, they were determined to obey. So the first thing we have to do, and this is kind of the surface level, to be honest with you, because we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Do you have a desiring heart? Is it really a want to? Is it really there to obey the Lord? A delightful heart, you know, it just brings you joy, the joy of the Lord in your heart to know that you have done what God has told you to do and when he's told you to do it and so you have been obedient to him. Are you determined, no matter the cost, to obey? Well, let's look a little bit deeper. You explore those things in your heart. Let's look a little bit deeper at the realities of true obedience. True obedience is what I call, first of all, informed obedience. What does that mean? Well, if I don't know what God wants me to do, how can I obey him? Do I have a witness on that? If you don't know what he wants you to do, then how can you obey him, right? So what were the disciples doing? Were they just saying, hey, look, uh, here's our strategy. We're going to go to the temple every day, and, and we're going to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. Was this their strategy? And so it's something they come and thought, hey, that'd be a good place. going to be a lot of people there. And so they come up with this strategy to go to the temple and preach and teach in the name of Jesus. No, they were there because they had been given instructions by God through the angel to be there. It was informed obedience. Verse 17 and following, backing up, chapter 5. The high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and they put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them outside said, so here's the word from the Lord. Angels giving it to him. Go, stand, speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. How can we obey God if we don't know what he wants us to do? He said, well, how does God speak to us? Well, it begins right here, right? Scripture. Are you listening? Say amen. I want to make sure you get this. This is where he begins. This is his word to us. So why do so many people struggle 
do I believe struggle because struggle in, in trusting and obeying God in the spirit of true obedience? It's because they're uninformed instead of informed about the will of God. Why is that so? It's because there's a lack of consistency. A lack of consistency of letting God speak to them his heart, his will, his ways through his word. And so it's difficult for us to trust and obey when we don't know what God wants us to do because we're not allowing him to speak to us on a regular basis, a daily basis, his heart to us. Thus saith, Lord, you've heard me. Listen, I was sharing with them in the early service and many of them can go back with me, back to Preacher Hudson when I was born and then Preacher Wynn and then Preacher Ellenberg and now myself. They all three were my pastors and part of my life, but... But the thing is, they all taught and preached the same thing, and that is, this is the infallible, inerrant word. This is God's word to us. And so if we want to know what God wants us to do, if we want to know what principles he wants us to live by, or the promises he wants us to embrace by faith, or the precepts, just clear, concise, you know, instruction here, thus saith the Lord, then you got to let him speak to you. And so the problem we have, we may be able on the first surface level say, I got a desirable heart. I got a delighting heart. I have a determined heart. But you can't do anything with it because it's not informed obedience. We're uninformed. We're ignorant because of our inconsistency or going through droughts in our life. Have we not? Gone through droughts in your life where, you know, I mean, the Lord's not a part of your daily life. His word's not a part. And, and so you're just out there drifting at a spiritual drought, not knowing where to turn, where to go, just kind of existing and trying to live out our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us through the Scripture, but also through situations, but also through other servants of the Lord. But listen to me. Listen to me. If I'm not interested enough to allow the Lord to speak to me his will for my life through this word, we're not interested in what the Spirit has to say. That's just reality. And so if you want to live in true obedience, it's got to be informed obedience. You've got to know what God wants you to do. Well, let's go a little bit deeper. Not only informed obedience, but notice with me as well, what we call immediate obedience. Procrastination. It's a form of disobedience. Why do we procrastinate? Let, let me give you this here out of chapter five before I, before I dig deeper into that. It's kind of fast. It was kind of, 
I, I kind of chuckled when I, and it hit me what had happened place here. It says back in verse 28, look at it with me, chapter 5, uh, verse 28. And the high priest, you know, they got them all in front of the Sanhedrin, the high priest is speaking to them, and he reminds them, he said, he said, did we not strictly give you orders not to continue teaching in this name, and you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intended to bring this man's blood upon us? We told you, you can't do that. So what does Peter do? He says, we're going to obey God and not man. And in the next two verses... He begins to preach and teach in the name of Jesus right there in front of him. You know, once again, I mean, just immediate obedience instead of procrastinate. Why do we procrastinate? Why do you think? You know, I, I was thinking that through. And I thought, wow, there's, I could do a whole series on that probably. And, and because it's probably multifaceted in the answer. But here's the number, here's what I believe is the number one answer. We want to know why. And we want to know it's going to be good at the end. What does that mean? We're questioning God. We don't want to respond to what the Lord has clearly spoken to us through the Scripture, through His Spirit, into our heart. But we're not going to move we're not going to obey until we understand why we have to do this or he's telling us to do this and we want him to explain to us what the end game is going to be. Let me ask you a question. Of all the incredible examples here in this word of men and women of God following him, how many, how many times... Did God tell them why and told them what the end game was going to be? He didn't. He said, trust me and obey me. You say, well, I have to know why and I have to know the end game. That's not trusting and obeying God. That's questioning God in our lives. Let me give you this statement. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. Think it through. Understanding can wait but obedience cannot. So you see, when we're, when we're talking about when we're talking about true obedience, we're not only talking about a, a desiring heart, a delighting heart, a determined heart. Not only talking about informed obedience, but we're talking about immediate obedience, doing exactly what He tells us to do when He tells us to do it, instead of waiting until we feel comfortable with it. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper. Not only informed obedience, 
not only immediate obedience, but inflexible obedience. In other words, you do exactly what the Lord tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Which is exactly what they did. Listen to what it says in verse 33. It says, but when they, referring to the Sanhedrin, the spiritual leadership of Israel, when they heard this, when he heard this word from Peter, it says they were cut to the quick and intended to kill him. Now let me ask you a question. Did the disciple, listen to me, did the apostles there modify the will of God because they knew the Sanhedrin wanted to kill them? The answer is no. <laughs> in fact, they continue. Look with me in verse 42. Just, just, to, just to reiterate that, just to uh, kind of uh, uh, rivet that into your heart and mind. In verse 42, chapter 5, and every day, listen, this is right after all this. They, listen, they have been scourged. In other words, the, the Sanhedrin really didn't know what to do with them. So once again, they said, look, you cannot preach and teach in the name of Jesus. And they flogged them. They got a whipping. And then sent them on their way with the intention of killing them. And so it says in verse 42, and every day, <laughs> every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Doing exactly what the Lord told them to do, where he told them to do it, and when they were to do it. Modified nothing. Listen to me. Let me go back to an illustration that I've used so many times in, in the 30 years, 31 years I've been here. You can probably use, tell it yourself, but I want to look at a different aspect of it. It's, it's the man Naaman, remember the captain of the army of Syria, all right? And, and he had leprosy. You remember the story, he had leprosy. I mean, he had the sentence of death on him. And just through the process of God's providential hands, Naaman is finally brought before the prophet Elisha and, and because he wants to be healed. And so the prophet gives Naaman the word of the Lord. Here is what you must do to be healed. I want you to go to the Jordan River and I want you to dip seven times and I will heal you. Now, Naaman you know, being one of these that had an idea of how God is supposed to do things, was first of all quite upset that he, he wasn't going to heal him the way he wanted to be healed. You know, he wanted it to be some kind of a big show right there, you know, just fire from heaven. But deep down, Naaman wanted to be healed. He had the death sentence on him. So here's what he did. Here's what he wanted to do. Think about this. He wanted to modify are you listening? 
Amen. He wanted to modify the will of God. He wanted to modify the instructions of God. He said, well, if I need to go to a river and I need to dip, why can't I just go to the one of the awesome rivers where I am from, maybe the river Euphrates, maybe the river Tigris. Why do I have to go to this deaky, muddy river called the River of Jordan? He said, I could just go there, maybe dip two or three times. Well, you know as well as I do that if he had modified the will of God, the instruction of God, he'd have died of leprosy. Eventually, through counsel, he goes to the Jordan River, as you know, dips seven times, and God miraculously heals him. Oh, we're so guilty of this. We want to modify the instructions of God. We want to modify the Word of God. We want to modify what He is telling us we need to do because we want it to fit our life. Are you listening? Say amen. Hey, we want to modify everything to fit our life, to fit our vision, to fit what we have plans in our life, and we want to obey. Yeah, Lord, I want to obey, but I'm just going to modify it just a little bit here to fit me. That's not obedience. That's not trusting and obeying. In essence, we're saying, God, I know a little bit more than you do. And this is the way it's supposed to happen. So, the reality of true obedience is this informed obedience it is immediate obedience. It is inflexible obedience. But let me close with this, the reward, the rewards of true obedience. Look with me back in our, our passage, chapter 5, verse 32. He says, and we are witnesses of these things. And so, this is Peter speaking, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who, what? Obey him. What? Yes. Those who obey him. Well, one of the rewards of true obedience, informed, immediate, inflexible from a desiring heart, a delightful heart, a determined heart, is we are spiritually empowered by the Holy Spirit. But he says the key is to those who obey him. Those who obey him. Many of you may not remember when you would drive up to a service station, you actually had someone to come out and service you. Now, I could say that in the early service and everybody go, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Some of you have no idea that ever happened that way. But there was this guy, he was, he was a young guy and he was working at one of these, quote, what we used to call service stations and he had a friend who had a car 
And he knew that friend's car was just a junkard, you know. Uh, tires were flat, um, had no distributor in it, and had a big old hole in the gas tank. And he's there working one day, and he sees his friend pushing, listen to this, pushing this car down the road. Flat tires, hole in the gas tank, no distributor, you know. And he pushes it all the way up to one of the gas pumps. And so this guy looks at his friend and says, what do you want me to do? He said, fill her up. And he looked at his friend and said, why? I wonder how many times we in our lives are really just crying out to God, oh, fill me up. And God says, why? It's not that he doesn't have the want to. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have the spiritual fuel, the Holy Spirit of God. But he says, I know you don't have a desiring heart. I know you don't delight. It's all duty to you when you do obey me. I, I know that when the going gets tough, I know when it's on the line, I know when, when, when there's the pressure there, what I tell you to do, either you're going to wait until you know you're going to be okay or at the same time you're going to modify it to fit what you want. So why should I spiritually empower you with the Spirit? See, there's a reason. that we have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. One of the rewards, spiritually empowered. Another reward is spiritually energized. It says in verse 41, I gave that to you a while ago, they went away rejoicing. They were actually what they went through really just energized them even more to be obedient to God. I love that passage in Psalms 37, verse 4, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He's not saying, I give you what you want. He says, I'm going to give you the want to. <laughs> that you should have the want to that's going to fill you with my joy, and your joy will be full. Spiritually empowered, spiritually energized. And then, listen to this. Lastly, spiritually effective. Effective. What was the result of all this? Chapter 6, verse 1, the very first part of verse 1. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in make an incredible difference. And make an incredible difference eventually they became the underlining source and power of God to bring ultimately the Roman Empire down. Because they were living in true obedience. 
I look at just who is here right now, who seeks to, you're a follower of Christ. Listen to me. If everyone, I'm putting me with everybody here. Listen carefully. If we truly lived in true obedience, if we really did, just those of us who are here, folks, we could turn these communities around us upside down and right side up for Christ. And if the, if the same thing was happening in other fellowship of believers that are around us, bodies of Christ, if they, if they would join, if we were living in true obedience and they began to live in true obedience, just like we see right here in Acts chapter 5, we could turn this state upside down, right side up for Christ, and maybe then the fire from that will turn this country upside down, right side up for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it starts with me. And you, willing with informed obedience, immediate obedience, inflexible obedience to the Lord, our God and our Savior. So what is the Lord saying to you? What do you know right now? Or what are you willing to ask of the Lord right now? Of a place in your life or places in your life, he said, I want you to obey me here. It may mean repentance. It may be restitution. It, it may be rekindling the desire to hear his word so that through his spirit, he can tell you what he wants you to do and then you can obey. Father God, I know we grieve your heart. And I know we quench your spirit because the way we respond to your instructions to us. We're uninformed. We procrastinate. And we try to modify what you're telling us to do in our lives to fit our lives. But I ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today, that Lord, you would protect the word that you have given to us from this passage and that each of us will be surrendered to living in true obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Go out and be blessed.